Okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I had so many crazy stories happen to me this week. Uh, I just want to just run through a few of them just uh, just to start because, um, you know, I, I, this is how I experience them. Maybe maybe you will too, I don't know. But it's just you, you feel the, the, the closeness of Hashem so much when, um, when things like this happen. So i just tell you three things. One is um, I... Uh, I was making a call, and and in my in my office, it's most people just say they, they go out into the sidewalk when they when they take a personal call, just because uh, otherwise everyone just can hear you. So it's it just sort of accepted that you know you conduct your personal business on the sidewalk. So <laughs> I was kind of walking, kind of in the area just while I was on the call, and I I don't know I I I, I went to this one area and just kind of leaned against a, a building um, and. And, and just, I was talking with my wife for a while. And then at a certain point, I just kind of looked down at the, the, the concrete at my feet. And my birthday is October 24th. And there, carved into the cement was October 24th. So, it was just bizarre. It was bizarre just to, I, I hadn't seen it. You know what I mean? Just to look down and see your birthday carved into cement. And it wasn't like there was a lot of other things that were carved. There was basically that date, you know. Yeah, it was, it was really, it was kind of remarkable. I, I took a picture of it. I'll, I'll show you later. But I took a picture of something else, but I'll, I'll show you that one. Because <laughs> can only line up one. So that one's even sort of more outrageous than that. Um, there's a... I've been learning this uh, particular uh, Sefer, this uh, book called the Mor uh, Shemesh for over the last year, and um, this past week, the person I learned with said, oh, you know, this is, we, we started this Sefer last year. And so I thought, okay, we've made a rotation through the Sefer. Uh, there's another book that I had been wanting to learn, I was waiting for the right moment to, to start it, and I had actually been wanting to learn this, this other Sefer for many years already. And I thought, okay, that's the sign. You know, we did a, a rotation through this book. I'm going to start learning this other book now. So I, I, I told him, I said, you know, starting tomorrow, let's start learning the um, the Torahs of the Chedusha Rim. The Chedusha Rim was uh, the first Ger Rebbe. He was the, the grandfather of the, the Sfas Emes, uh, who was the second Ger Rebbe. And he was also very, you know, part of the inner, inner circle with uh, the Kutzka Rebbe and, and Rebbe's like this. So... So, God willing, um, we'll, we'll start learning this safer. So, I started learning it the, the next day, and I had, before I started learning it, I had a, uh, an aliyah in, in shul. I got called up for an aliyah, and in the, the, the section that they read of uh, the Torah when I was up there was the word harim, you know, which was amazing to me, the, the name of the book. Harim is, is the, uh, the, 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 it's an acronym of, of, of his name. Um, so, so just to think, I've been wanting to learn that Sefer for actually years already. And the day that I started, there's an Aliyah and there's the name of the book in the, in the Torah, you know, that, um, that I'm standing up there in front of. I just, I, I, it, it made me feel so good because it just made me feel like, you know, they say when, when you're learning Torah, you're learning Torah with God. So, you know, Hashem was, was basically saying, okay, this is our new book. This, you know, we're going to be learning this one together. Here it is. And it was just a sign to me that, you know, 
he's right, he's right there, you know. So that that was something. Now later on that same day, and this is really the one that really kind of just short circuited my brain, you know. But but it's it happened um, a couple of days ago. And I'll spare you the whole story. There was a reason why I was discussing this historical figure. But um, I, was, um, I was at the dinner table, and I'm trying to remember the name of this historical figure because he has this, like, outrageous quote. I'll tell you the quote. The quote is really, like, it's very disturbing. It's very, very disturbing. The quote is, um, I always tell the truth so that when, because when I lie, I want you to believe me. Right? That's like pretty evil, right? I always tell the truth because when I lie, I want you to believe me. Right? So that's like, anyway, so we'll get to who said that in a moment. So I, I'm trying to remember, like, who said that? Who said that? Who said that? And I'm sitting at the dinner table and I'm thinking, it starts with a B. I, that's the best I can do. Just, I remember it starts with a B. And then I'm seeing, looking at my daughter across the table from me, and I remember she studied uh, European history. I thought, you know, maybe she'll know. So I said, who was the, the guy in Germany who united all the principalities into the modern country of Germany? And she said, Bismarck. Like, right away, you know, Bismarck. I was like, Bismarck, yes, that's, that's who I was trying to think of, yes. So, so I, was, I was happy about that. Now, two days later, okay, this is two days later, I'm driving, I'm about to pull into my, the parking lot at the office, and I'm a little bit early, and I see I need gas. And I think, ah, I'm already about to park. I'll get gas when I'm at the end of the day. And then I thought, you know, at the end of the day, I just want to get home already. I'm a little bit early. Just pull out of the parking lot. Just get gas right now. So I pull out of the parking lot, and then I, I turn the corner. I go to this parking lot that I, or this, this uh, gas station that I never go to. And it's... I'm about two blocks away from the gas station. And I'm remembering this conversation from two days earlier with my daughter. As I'm driving to the gas station, I'm two blocks away, and I'm thinking, Bismarck, Bismarck, isn't that, isn't that great that she knew Bismarck? She didn't have to think about it. I asked her. She knew Bismarck right away. So I go into the gas station, and I'm having trouble filling up the tank. There's something, I think that I just sort of like clicked it and I didn't wait to see whether it was actually filling and then I walked away and then it was very unclear whether it filled or it didn't fill or whether I had been charged or I hadn't been charged so like it was a very it was like it was very confusing so I go to the guy and the guy who owns the gas station has a very very thick accent Indian accent and I, I honestly you know I'm trying I honestly can't understand anything he's saying and there's a Mexican guy next to him who's very, very helpful. And he's translating English into English for me. And, and it, was, it was nice. It was, it, was, it was nice. He was very helpful. And I was like, okay, I understand right now the gas tank didn't fill and I've got to pay again and everything like this. Okay, fine. It's all good. So then I, and I've had a whole conversation with his translator, right? But didn't think anything. And then I go outside again and I start filling the tank. And this other guy, this Mexican guy, is, is in the parking lot. And then he walks from across the, par the, the gas station little area over to me. And he said, did you get it all figured out? Right? And I was like, yeah, thank you very much for your help. And then I noticed, I looked down at his shirt. His name is Bismarck. 
And I took a picture, I'm going to show it to you right now, because you can't, you can't believe it. You can't, a Mexican guy whose first name is Bismarck. And as I'm driving to the station, I was a couple blocks away, as I told you, I was thinking, Bismarck, Bismarck. Yeah, I'm passing out the, I'm passing out the, 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 the photo. And when I thought about it, when I thought about it again, it's like I had a whole conversation with him earlier inside the, 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 the little convenience shop, you know, where you, where the, like the little mini mark part. And I didn't think to look at his name tag. And God was like, it's Bismarck! <laughs> like, you know? So it's sort of like, you didn't see it? You didn't see it? All right. So I can give you another chance. So as I'm filling up the thing, the guy walks from the other side of the whole little area over to me, you know? Just, just in case, just in case I didn't, uh, just in case I didn't see it, which I hadn't. And it was, it was great. It's sort of like, I, I just, I, the thing is so wild enough, but the idea that it was right in front of me and I didn't even see it, and then God was like, no, 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 you're definitely going to see this. I'm bringing this guy back for a second conversation. You know, do you? You know, if he's got to get into your car, you're going to see it. You know, so it's just, you know, it's 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 an amazing thing. Again, God's God's closeness, and you know, everyone always wants to know what do you do with things like that. What do you do when things like that happen? So, I've explained it before, but I'll just go through it very very quickly because it's just important to know. So the, the simple answer is when something like that happens, you pray. You pray for things. Pray for your needs. Pray for your needs, you pray for other people's needs. That's what you do. Why? How, how, how do we get to that conclusion? Very, this is my analysis, but I think very straightforward. You know, I, I heard someone said that when coincidences happen like this, that's God's way of waving hello. But I, I was never... I like that. It's cute and it's sweet, as Reb Shlomo would say, but... It doesn't do it for me because God is always waving hello. Every single moment of your life, God is waving hello. But this is more than that. So you need a deeper explanation. So, so it seems to me that since God is running the world constantly, what's unique about moments like this is that God, so to speak, is going out of his way to show you that he's running the world. Aha. So now, if God is actually, so to speak, going out of his way to show you that he's guiding things, that's what we call an esratzon, a time of favor, meaning to say that the gates are open at that moment. In other words, if God is going out of his way to show you that he's very close, this is a moment where you can pray, right? So at that moment, and when we've talked about it, everybody has to have a list, at least five categories. But I would say these are... These are key, key categories. One, who needs a healing? Who needs a refuah? Who needs a shidduch? Who needs a marriage partner? Who needs children? Who needs parnosa? Who needs a livelihood? Right? And of course, you always have to pray for Mashiach. So, so, and you have to have names in each of these categories. And when there's a time of favor or any time, you just go through your list. Because if the gates are open, this is a, an, an opportunity to, to bring some, you know, very positive answered prayers into the into the world, positive light into the world. Okay. So 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 
just to make a, the transition into Parshas Re, Re means see, it's like, again, without, without stretching it too much, I, I feel like God was going like, see, 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 see this Bismarck crazy coincidence, you know, that, that I'm showing you this, you know? So, so Parshas Re begins, uh, and I'm, I'll tell you a, a, a Torah from the Chedusha Rim, right? This is the new Sefer that I'm learning. The first Ger Rebbe. So it says, Re'eh Anochi Nosein Lefnechem Hayom Brachel Klala. Right? Behold, like or see, I'm putting before you Hayom, today, a bracha and a klala, a blessing and, and the opposite of a blessing. You can translate it as a curse, but we'll go into that more later. I don't, I don't think that's a great translation. So, but I'm, I'm putting before you today. Before it even says a blessing and a klala, it says, I'm putting before you today. So I saw from one Rebbe, I don't remember who, um, that that's the blessing. That's the blessing is today. God is giving us today. And that's an awesome thing. Like, that is sort of like, that, that's the greatest manifestation of the blessing. Just the fact that you're around. You just, you just have to do something, right? Appreciate it. I, I, there's a, a story in the name of the Radvaz, who was a, a, a great rabbi in Egypt hundreds of years ago, I think around approximately the 1500s, give or take. Um, and uh, there's a story that's, that's told, a true story, that uh, someone who was a prisoner wrote to him and said that the, the jailer has um, given me permission to take one day off during the year, that I can have one day out of prison. And he wanted to know, which day should I ask for? And he, he said, should it be like Yom Kippur, like Purim, something like, what, what day should I, should I get out? And the Radvaz said, the first day that you can get out, get out. Right? Hayom, Hayom, the first day that you can get out. And tremendous wisdom in that. So, but let me tell you what the Chidush says, or one thing that he says. Says something very, very beautiful and very, very deep. Um, it might sound simple, but you gotta kind of. We'll try to unpack it a little bit. So again, it says, hayom, klala." See that I'm putting before you today a blessing and and a klala. See, I'm putting before you today. Now. Today, day in, in, in Torah-thon, the day stands for clarity, right? So, so he says that the great blessing is that a person should have clarity, because when you have clarity, then you know the difference between a bracha and a klala. You know the difference between what's a blessing and what's a curse. So the first thing that you actually need is clarity. And he points out that the, you know, we have a, a series of blessings that we say in the morning. It's sort of like a, a checklist of, of, of blessings. And that the first blessing that we say is, Baruch atah Hashem elokinu melcholam, asher natan vivina, lahavchin binyomun ben laila. Which is translated as, Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, King of the Universe, who gave... The heart understanding. That means also clarity, not like like Bina. 
that God gave our hearts understanding to distinguish between day and night. And again, day and night would mean good and bad. And see, the first thing that someone has to, if someone's going to make it in this world, the first thing that they have to figure out is what is the difference between good and bad, between right and wrong. I remember when I first came out here, I was, I was in to L.A. to write for TV. I was 21. And there was a, a writer on the show that I was on who was like an older, like a member of the 60s generation. He was like an older hippie. And he lived out in like Malibu, near like the hills, mountains of Malibu. And I went out to spend the day with him. Uh, uh, and I remember at the end of the day, I went out with him and his wife and, and we sat down at this place. And she said to me with like, they had a, a couple of kids. Um, she said to me with a great sense of pride, she, she, she said, you know, the, the way I've brought up my children is, um, is I've been very careful not to tell them the difference between right and wrong. And I thought to myself, if you only tell them one thing, there should be the difference between right and wrong. Now, she was coming from a very idealistic place, you know? She was coming from a very idealistic place. But there is a concept of right and wrong. There is a concept of right and wrong. Now, the, like I say, this might sound like a simple idea, and, and so so basic. What are you saying that there's a right and a wrong? That's, that's why I turn out on a Sunday for the <laughs> there's a right and a wrong? I go, what are, you, what are you doing to me? Like, yeah, tell me something deep. But I promise you, this is very, very, very deep. Let me tell you why it's very deep. Because, you see, it gave me an added level of appreciation for people who grow up without a sort of like a, a, a classic foundation of morality, right? And imagine, and I'm now talking about not like an animal, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a highly intelligent person. Imagine right now, and this is our generation, the last several generations have been filled with people like this. In fact, probably the majority of people perhaps might fall into, the, into this category. All right? So we're talking about, here's our base level assumption. A very intelligent person who was born into this world without the foggiest understanding of, of really anything that, that, that they can't figure out on their own. Right? Now, what is a person, and this is probably the majority of the world right now, or America anyway, right? What, what are they going to do? Now, again, we're starting with a very intelligent person. This very intelligent person is going to make the following um, uh, strategy, I, I suggest, which is that they're going to find those things in their life which give them pleasure, and they're going to gravitate toward those things that give them pleasure, and they're going to find those things that cause them pain and they're going to do everything to avoid the pain. They're going to gravitate toward the pleasure. They're going to avoid the pain. And that will then develop into their system of morality. They will build it around that. Do, do you understand? And, and so there is no right and wrong at that point on the, on the cosmic divine level anymore. There's just a very... 
survival-based instinct that will evolve into a morality. It will be from below to above, not from above to below. And this can, in its crudest form, take on the, 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 the um, manifestation of basically hedonism, right? Just running after pleasure or whatever it is. But it doesn't, that, that would just be one form of it. That would just be one form of it. It could also be something that's much more sort of like almost animalistic and just protective and just survival instinct, right? It could take that form also. But again, look how different the Torah is presenting our approach to this world. It's saying, Re'eh, see, see it with your eyes, Anochi. Hashem says, I'm putting before you today, today, as the Chidush Yerim is saying, meaning clarity. I am giving you clarity that there exists in the abstract, right, an objective reality called bracha. And there's an objective reality called klala. Choose the bracha. Become aware. Learn. Expand your consciousness. Understand that there's a thing called bracha. Run after the bracha so that you can avoid the klala. Now, I want to explain this concept of klala. Because, again, in in the English, it's translated as curse. And I I think that that's... um, an unfair, an unfair translation. I think it's um, it will, it can, it it can turn away a person from God in a way, because it can cause you to misunderstand God. So let me try to explain what klala means. Okay. I want to translate klala as the consequences that come from choosing the wrong decision. Okay, because what I'm trying to do is distance it from. Like we, you know, we all have this image of the James Bond villain who's like stroking his cat, right? And just plotting evil, right? And, and deciding which way he's going to turn, right? Is he going to activate all the, like, the missiles, you know, or not, you know? And it's sort of like, if that's our view of God, that God is there stroking his cat saying, shall I put before, shall I activate the blessing or the curse? depending on, you know, which choice you're making. This is a bummer. This is a huge, huge bummer. Not only is it a bummer, but I think it does a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous disservice to God because God only wants to bless us with blessings. But, so then what is this whole idea of Klala? So, so, Let's deepen the conversation and, and, and ask another question, but we're, we're very much on the same topic. There are things in the Torah, there, there are sort of like gradations, ca- categories of wrongdoing, if you will. One of them is called an Isser Karas. An Isser Karas is like very, very serious business. An Isser Karas is basically a person's soul gets cut off. Okay, then you have to look into the commentaries and, and, and try to understand what, what that actually means and all the rest. But you, you definitely want to avoid something that's an isercharis, if you can. Now, what's an example of an isercharis? An isercharis is, one example, is eating bread on Passover. 
right? Doing that intentionally. So you could say, and I think it's a fair question, is it really so terrible if I ate some bread on Passover? For goodness sakes, I didn't kill anybody. I didn't steal from anybody. I paid for this bread. You know, I, I, you know, maybe I even made a blessing over the bread. Who knows? But is it really so terrible that it should fall into the category of, of a person's soul getting cut off? And by the way, there's tshuva for everything. If a person did that, you know, they can 100% do tshuva. Can fix it up. Okay. So, so again, this gets me back to the imagery of like the James Bond villain, God forbid, right? Like, oh, you better not eat bread on Passover because, oh, you, you're going to see what I'm going to do. So, so again, how do, we, how, do we, how do we understand it? How do we understand it? So I want to suggest a visualization, okay, that, that I think can solve a lot of this and, 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 and sort of unknot this negative view of God and, and actually turn it into a, a very big positive. And by the way, I think that that's actually pshat, that's actually the real understanding of this, okay? Imagine a, like, you know those hedge mazes, right? So they've got these things that are like these, you walk through and you, you, you try to get through it and you don't, you kind of can't see above the walls and you don't know where you're going and you hope that eventually you're going to turn and you get out of the maze and then you win, right? So, so that's, the, that's the thing, they have them in like amusement parks, country fairs, things like this, right? Um, so, so this world is kind of like a maze, but it's a different kind of maze because they, y- you can't see the walls. <laughs> They're like thin, transparent sheets of glass. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this where you've walked right into a glass door, right? <laughs> you know, now I think by law they have to put like stickers on the door so that you know that this is a glass door because they can be so transparent you don't even know that they're there. And by the way, people have real accidents. My sister was staying at this hotel where someone put his arm through one of these glass windows and had terrible cuts and blood and everything like that, you know, because you, you can't see it. And, and if you can't see it, you can cause yourself tremendous damage, right? So, so we know that God made the world out of the Torah, that the mitzvahs are the building blocks of reality. And so, so God tells us, look, I'm telling you what, wh- where, where the walls are. I'm telling you where the walls are. Like, can you imagine after 120, our soul comes up and we, we look at ourselves and we see like all these cuts and bruises. Why? Because we did all these things. And it's sort of like we want to avoid that. So God is telling us where these things are. Now, would I ever think in a million years that if I ate bread on Passover during that period of time, that I'm walking through one of these glass sheets and doing myself tremendous damage? Would I ever know that in a million years? I would never know that in a million years. I would never know that in a million years. So God is telling us, look, I'm telling you, that's, that's the consequences of doing that. Don't do that. I'm trying to protect you by telling you about the existence of this wall so that you don't damage yourself because I don't want you to damage yourself. This is a very different, this is a very different picture of God. Very different picture of God. It's not a God who's like making up like very strange things and then with these like 
hugely arbitrary, you know, you know, horrible penalties. No, 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 no. The opposite. God has built this exceedingly complex creation. And the Torah is our guidebook to navigating this world. And God is telling us how to do it and begging us to do it so that we don't hurt ourselves. And that we have success in this world. And so that's See that I'm putting before you today. Have the clarity to understand all the blessings and the consequences of not making the right choices, right? So that we can make the right choices. And I saw from the Mor Vishemesh something very beautiful also that ultimately God wants us to choose. Remember, there's something amazing. It's, it's, it's actually kind of mind-blowing that we're higher than the angels. Because you would think, how is it possible for a human being who makes so many mistakes and everything like that to be higher than angels who are like, you know, behold like a whole extra quantum level of the revelation of godliness, right? Even to angels, even angels say to God, where is the place of your glory? Remember, because even angels are creations compared to God. So they don't see God's full infinity. No one sees God's full infinity except God. Okay. So how are we higher than angels? They're perfect. They don't make any mistakes. See, but they don't have the opportunity to make a mistake. <laughs> See, like, you know in bowling, like, have you ever seen a little kid bowl? They put up those, um, those bumpers on either side. And sometimes you've got, like, a little kid who's getting, like, you know, like bowling like 186 or something like that. Like, how is that possible that this kid is getting like this ridiculously high score? Because they they can't get any gutter bowls. Right? So angels can't make any mistakes because they don't have free choice. Human beings can make mistakes, but we have this ability to to choose to serve God, which is so that's, that's, that is an awesome chiddush. That God isn't necessarily obvious to us. And that we can see, oh, wait a second, I'm looking around, I'm, I'm understanding the world a little bit more. There has to be, there has to be a, how, a higher power at work, because otherwise, how does this all work? Everybody knows this, this Monday is um, this solar eclipse. Right? And... You know, what Rabbi Freeman pointed out, something that I didn't know, which is that, that, the, that the moon is one four hundredth of the sun, and it's, it's um, 400 million miles away, or 400 times as far as, as, as the moon is. Some, some ratio with this. Hopefully I got those numbers right. But here's the point. So that... There's an exact equality so that when the moon gets in front of the sun, even though the sun is enormously larger than the, than the moon, from the distance of the earth, they become exactly equal so that the moon is able to 100% wipe out the sun. In other words, the math is, and we're talking about on the scale of hundreds of millions of miles with masses that how much bigger is the sun than the earth? Massively larger. I mean, the scale that we're talking about is absolutely ridiculous. 
And yet, it, 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 it exactly overlays the, you know, if you see pictures of the solar eclipse, you'll see little bits of the sun, but those are flares from the sun. That's not the sun. Those are flares from the sun. So, so what, did the, what does the verse say at the beginning of the Torah? That God created two great lights, which the rabbis understand that originally the sun and the moon were equal. <laughs> and here you see like a little taste of the equality, even in today's age of the, of the sun and the moon, you know? So, so there's such a precision, and, and there's millions of examples of, of, of the precision. But at the same time, we can, we're blessed to also have a blind eye to it. You know, the idea that Bismarck was standing right in front of me for an entire conversation and I didn't see that his name was Bismarck. <laughs> how, how many times in our life are like wild things happening and we, we never find out about it? We never even know about it. Right? So it's such a privilege just to, to have our eyes open, to see the blessings. And, 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 and the trick is to look for the blessings. That, that, that's, that's the thing. That's the thing. You know, you see, I think that the reason why one of the main points that I've tried to express in, in all of these talks, and we can't do it enough, because the world needs to make this conceptual breakthrough, is to understand that God is good. And that, you know, you can believe in God, but if you don't believe that God is good, you're not really believing in God. You're believing in a higher power. You might even be believing in the power that gave us the Torah and dictated it letter for letter to Moshe Rabbeinu at Mount Sinai. But you're still not believing in God. You're believing in some things God has done over the years. But if you want to believe in God, you must believe that God is good. Otherwise, your approach might be spiritual, but it's not Jewish. It's not the Torah approach. God is good. Now, why, why am I making such a point of that? I'll make a point of that, God willing, for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. But the reason is because we can't spend the rest of our lives deciding whether we actually accept that point or not. <laughs> <laughs> accept it and just work with it. <laughs> You, you, you know what I mean? Like, can you imagine, like, someone gives you a key and says, all right, your office is the third one from the right. You go, well, I don't know if it's really the third one from the right, but okay, the, the key seems to fit the door. There's no one in that office, the third one from the right. Turn on the lights, there's a stack of paper. All right, I guess I'll do some of the work. I don't know if this is my office, I don't know if this is my job, but I guess I can do some of the work. And I spend 25 years <laughs> thinking, maybe this is my job, maybe this isn't my job. <laughs> I don't know. They seem to be giving some, me some money at the end of the week. I, they seem to think it's my job. <laughs> I'm not positive, but I need the money, right? You know, the, the, the famous joke, Woody Allen tells it about the guy, he says, Doc, my, 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 my brother thinks he's a chicken. 
know, I said, how long has this been going on? He said, 10 years. He said, why didn't you come earlier? He says, we need the eggs. <laughs> so, so, or, 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 that's my office, this is my job, I'm doing my job. <laughs> I'm getting my job done. Now I'm excelling at my job. See, the, the previous person will stay employed, probably, right? But he's not going to excel. They'll grudgingly keep him over a period of time. He's not going to excel. But the person who goes, okay, this is my job. Okay, let's do it. If you understand that God is good and you don't spend your, the rest of your life deciding whether he's good or not, you go, okay, this is my job. God is good. I'm going out there. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Suffering is good. Suffering is good because it cleanses. Is that what? I just have such a hard time with suffering. So that's why. Right. I'm yeah. Yeah. It cleanses so yeah. it's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a you know, the, the, the rabbis say that they have no way of explaining, no way of explaining why the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper. And then they give 400 explanations. <laughs> but they begin by saying they've got no idea. But you got to think God is good even though there's suffering. Yeah. If you, if, you, if you go into it and you look into it, you'll find many, many explanations. Right? But you have to begin with the explanation that there is no explanation. And then, once you know that there's no explanation, then you can begin to learn the explanations. You know? You know, remember, we, we always say it, but it's so important. The Kutzka Rebbe says, you know, I'd never worship a God I understood. Right? Because if I understood God completely, then I'm also God. So what do I need God for? Right? One of the, one of just the basic norms of reality is just understanding that you're not going to understand everything. And also, you know, as a, as a related point, the presence of problems, listen carefully, I'm going to say it twice. The presence of problems doesn't mean there's a problem. <laughs> say it one more time. The presence of problems doesn't mean that there's a problem. Because there's always going to be problems. So the fact that there's a problem isn't proof that there's actually a problem. There might be a problem. <laughs> there might be a problem. And you've got to look into that. But the fact that you have problems isn't proof that there is a problem. <laughs> because there always, there's always going to be problems. You know? Okay, so listen, we, you can have a special kavana when you finish Shmona Esrei and you say, that God should rebuild the base of Migdash. One of the all-time great gematrias, right, is that Beis HaMikdash is gematria, is the same number Beis HaMikdash as Rosh Hashanah. So when we talk about building the Beis HaMikdash, the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, we're talking about building Rosh Hashanah, we're talking about building the new year, right? We're still in Av. Remember, I don't know if you heard it last week, Ari Epstein said, like, the best Torah, like, right, right now, um, really the preparation for Rosh Hashanah begins in Av. Rosh Hashanah, of course, we know is the beginning of the world. And so he pointed out that if you take the letters of Av and add them to the word Tishrei, right, which is the month of Rosh Hashanah, Av and Tishrei, all those letters, if you scramble them around, spells Breshis, 
which is the beginning. That's that's, and Breshis is also the Balaturim points out Breshis. If you scramble around the letters, is Aleph Betishrei, <laughs> the first of the month of Tishrei, <laughs> right? Aleph B Tishrei, Aleph B Aleph Base is Av. Av and Tishrei is Breshis. So you, you can work it as many different ways. All we know is is that God is preparing for the new world right now. And everything we do right now just counts more and more and more and more and more and more. It should just be blessed and sweet and successful and prosperous and healthy and with lots of simchas, all kinds, for all of us. Yeah. Now for some questions and answers. So when there are times of, um, when there are times of turmoil, um, a lot of times you see... Uh, you know, sort of the, the, the dark side of uh, communities turning out and, and manifesting themselves. Certainly we've had that in the news. And, and Rabbi Nachman, I believe it's Rabbi Nachman, gives a very interesting parallel. He says, you know, imagine you have a pot of water and there's some sediment on the bottom, right? So if, when, the, when, the, when the pot has been sitting there for a while, you know, you just see the clear water at top. You don't see... Um, you know, the, the mud or the grime below. But if you then boil the pot, what happens is, is that all of the sediment on the bottom gets, gets put to the top, and all of a sudden you get to see actually what was always there. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, that's certainly true on a national level. When there are challenging times, all of a sudden, you know, you see elements that were always there, but they start to become much more visible, right? It's also true, I think maybe maybe even more compellingly, on a personal level. A lot of times when um, you know, a person can sort of be kind of gliding through life when they don't have issues and things like that, but there's some darkness inside of them. But it's not really manifesting itself. And then comes a time of challenge where there's an inner boiling going on, and a lot of those resentments, hatreds, things like that, you know, like boil to the top. And it's not like they're new. They were always there. It's just that a person wasn't in touch with them. So, you know, as as sort of um, uh, dismay as seeing the, 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 the cloudy water, the dirty water is, because, you know, especially when your previous impression was that it was clear, at the same time, it's, it can be very beneficial and instructive that it's sort of like, oh, there's still work to be done, and I wasn't aware of that. And let me just try to do, maybe I can't control the situation around me necessarily, but I can at least address the issues within myself. And so that's, that's one um, kind of a constructive way to approach uh, darkness, essentially. Um, Another thing that that I would just add in terms of um, moral relativism, because we talked about how the the first line of this week's Parsha is God is saying, I'm putting before you a blessing and a curse. So a lot of people would say, well, wait a second, you know, you know that person that you talked about, that that highly intelligent person who says this causes me pain and that causes me pleasure? I think that's a perfectly good system of morality. You, you talked about it like somehow it was not a great system of morality. I think it's a fantastic system of morality, excuse me, and, and better than yours. You know, so, okay, great. So that's when you start to get into something called um, moral relativism, which is, is sort of like combining all these things. Now, now, we have to understand something. 
which is that we we live, um, thank God, in a in a democracy that respects various points of view. And we can get to a place where we think that what is the truth? What is the truth? The truth is this is true, and that's true, and this is true, and that's true, and that's the truth, that everything is true. Right? That, that would be moral relativism. Now, we have to make a distinction, at least from the Torah standpoint and living in this world and living in, in, a, in a modern society standpoint. <clears throat> Those are two very different quote-unquote truths. Those are very, two very different types of truths. One um, is what we would call the social compact, to get fancy with you, okay? What that is is an arrangement that different groups make in order to live with each other peacefully, right? And one of the conditions of allowing a society like that to exist is to respect the other group's point of view, right? But that's not truth. That's not truth. That's what, we have a different word for that in Torah. We call that peace. We call that shalom, right? And in fact, the Medrash talks about, at the time of the creation of the, the world, an argument that these different great qualities had before God, and peace and truth are fighting with each other. Because <clears throat> in order for there to be peace, a lot of times, truth gets thrown away. Okay? But there is something called truth. There is something called truth. Now, let me... Let me approach it from a, a naturalistic standpoint, okay? Because I think that you can see it, in, in my opinion, clearly. So we have, whatever the number is, hundreds of billions, perhaps trillions of heavenly bodies, enormous, enormous, way hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times larger than the earth, up in the heavens, and they're all kind of like rotating and like not bumping into each other. <laughs> it's, it's an amazing thing. It's like there's this divine ballet going on with all these heavenly bodies. How does that happen, actually? If you think about it, okay, there are occasionally meteors and asteroids, but even those troublemakers don't seem to be, even black holes, right? Which are like these giant vacuum cleaners. Even those can't upset, you know, on a greater level, this amazing choreography that's going on. Right? Look how exact it is. Then you go down further and you look at the air. Look at how it's a certain percent oxygen. It's a certain percent nitrogen. And no one says like this, okay, you want... To say that it's 20% nitrogen? Okay, for you it's 20% nitrogen. You want to say it's 80% nitrogen? Okay, it's 80% nitrogen. No one is saying that. There is a very precise formula in terms of what the breakdown is. A little less oxygen, we suffocate. A little more oxygen, if you light a match, the whole world catches on fire. Okay? Let's go down further inside each person to their DNA. DNA, exceedingly exact, exceedingly exact. If you say, okay, so we'll throw in an extra Y chromosome or a couple more X chromosomes, you'll have nine legs. 
right? It's like, it's not joking around. It's very precise. You go down to the subatomic level. The subatomic level, exceedingly precise. So from the largest things in the, in the, in, in, in the cosmos, down to the smallest things that you need like, you know, zillion dollar microscopes in order to see, but they're there. Everything is exceedingly precise. So anyone who says the world is random doesn't know what they're talking about. Or at least they're using a turn of phrase which is highly inaccurate. So what do people mean then when they say, oh, it's all random? What do people mean? Here's what they mean. That the world is very mysterious. And I can't figure out interpersonally why she did that, or why he said that, or why she didn't do this, or why he didn't say that. And because relationships are so confusing, we take our befuddlement and we project it onto the cosmos and we say, nothing makes sense. Huge error. Huge leap in logic. No, 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 no. The world is exceedingly exact. People are mysterious. People are mysterious. God ultimately is mysterious. But the world itself is exact. So God, who made the world, who made this world with exact precision, has demonstrated that he's very, very um, not shy about expressing his will. <laughs> and he's given us a set of expectations. These are the Torah mitzvahs, a desire, as, as Rav Shlomo would say, what, what is the Torah? That's God's dreams for us and God's prayers for us. And when we keep the Torah, we're praying God's prayers and dreaming God's dreams. Right? It's a beautiful thing. That's, that's, that's the pathway that God has given us. So that's what we would call the truth. In other words, the truth doesn't just exist on, there's a body and there's a soul. What I described to you was the body of creation. From the cosmos down to air, down to DNA, down to the subatomic level. But there's also an equally precise soul to creation. That's God's will. That's the Torah and the mitzvahs. That's what we call the truth. Right? Now we still have Shalom. We still have Shalom because we want to respect each other and we want to encourage each other and we want to live at peace. But that doesn't mean that there's multiple truths. There's one truth. And if we look at the world and we really think about it, we see, we see the authenticity of that. Uh, thank you so much for the speech. I'm still trying to grapple around yeah. this whole right and wrong thing yes. as far as relativity. And yeah. so I, I'm understanding that right and wrong plays a, a role in moral relativity. Yes. But where, where I'm trying to connect it yes. is into Judaism. Where is right and wrong? Is it bracha klala? How do you reconcile shalom and emet? So I, I can understand it in an English context, but we're using it the, the, the terms that are used in a more relativity world. Yes. We're trying to fit it into Torah, but I don't know where in Torah it says right and wrong. There's Torah, emes, sheker. What's so? How, is it is it bracha klala? What is the right and wrong terms right. in Judaism? So it's, it's all of the above. Those are all, all the different categories that you said, bracha and klala, tova, ra, right? You know, all, all these things are, 
ways that the Torah is saying right and wrong. That, that you, you have the, um, you know, Rabbi Nachman talks about this, that the, sometimes the Yetzirah confuses us, where in our question, we actually have the answer to our own question. <laughs> so you're actually answering your question in your question. And, and so these, that, that is the answer, just what you said. Um, and so to the extent that we can embrace these things, the tov, right, or the bracha, or, or the mitzvahs, and stay away from the ra, or the sheker, or the averas, that is the Torah expressing right and wrong. That, that is the expression of it. Yeah. Question about a passing tone in the conversation. Sure. Had barely Please. anything to do with it. Um, um, bring it up, man. Well, that's, you got it. It's bring my anxiety. Okay, it, okay good. Good. Please. And I'd rather ask you it privately, but what the heck? Yeah, just go um, for it, man. <laughs> so, you mentioned, I think you said, in order to succeed in life, or yes. in order to get to yes. life. Yes. And that just made me go, <clears throat> Right. Because I remember you right. saying, we all get there someday. And I'm, yeah. on my worst, at my worst moments, yes. I feel like I'm, 2001 World Series, the Yankees played the Diamondbacks. At some point, the Diamondbacks were ahead by 22. 22 runs? Yes. <laughs> During, just after 9-11, it was really galling. And there came a certain point where you go, barring parting of the Red Sea, the Yankees are not going to win this game. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, Fair assumption. Yeah. And at my worst moments, I feel like I'm so in the red that, you know, I will not win. What happened? The, what happened? What, what, hap what happened life. in that game? Did they... They did, lost! They, they were down... They were up by 22 and lost? No, no, no. The Yankees lost. Oh, okay, okay. Of course they lost. Okay. I thought you were setting us up for a big surprise no, anyway. No, no. The Yankees <laughs> lost. Okay. It makes sense. And it makes there sense. came a point where you knew yeah, you're right. they're going to lose. Right. Barring a miracle. Right. Yeah. And there wasn't one and they right. lost. Right. So... So what's winning and what's losing? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, as... I think, honestly... I'll just give you a, a short answer because this is the best I can do. Okay. Trying your best is winning. Period end. Period end. 